The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and wonderful to be back with you again for yet another week. And today we're going to be talking about building a culture of innovation with my guests today, Chris Bezik and Joe Geraghty. Before we speak to Chris and Joe, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week, Sue Richardson, who shared her thoughts on book publishing. And I think that show is just really helpful for anybody who's keen to write and publish a book to elevate their business or to do it even better next time if you've done it once before. I also very much enjoyed interviewing this week uh, Leanne Pico, um, actually yesterday, on her story-powered show on Voice America. Um, That show is going to air on Tuesday as it was a pre-record, but it really got me thinking about how stories can literally make billions of dollars for people. Stories are just so important when it comes to sharing the history of a business, and the ability to tell great stories can make the difference when it comes, amongst other things, to doing deals, making big sales, engaging your staff. I was chatting this week to a future guest, Sue Richardson, who's a vice president of Ritz-Carlton. She joins me on the 16th of October. And that is a company just with incredible stories and uh, amazing stories around their values and the amazing experiences that they give to their customers. So um, do join me on that show on the 16th. It's going to be really, really fascinating. So to today's show and building a culture of innovation with uh, Chris Bezik and Joe Geraghty. Uh, With culture being a subject that's just so close to my interests and my heart, I've been really looking forward to this show. In a world of hyper-competition, unprecedented challenges, constant disruption, the need for innovation has never been higher on the strategic agenda. But the majority of CEOs are dissatisfied with their innovation capability and performance. So how do you turn rhetoric into innovation-led action and behavior? How do you build a culture of innovation? Chris Bezik, originally trained as a products and industrial engineer, uh, designer, sorry, he spent over a decade as a successful entrepreneur and CEO building an award-winning design company, and he's now recognized globally as a thought leader on strategic innovation and creating innovation, innovative organizations. He's the founder and CEO at Niche Innovation Consultancy, The Future Shapers, and he's coached, advised, and delivered keynotes to some of the world's most successful companies on how to become exceptional by building game-changing innovation capability and embedding it into your culture. He's delivered executive education programs on innovation for leading UK and international business schools. Joe Geraghty is formerly the head of HR for Goldman Sachs France and Switzerland, and with 16 years of experience working in change management across the globe. She specialises in working with CEOs and leadership teams of global organisations in large, complicated and regulated environments. 
She's a co-founder of boutique agency Culture Consultancy, a speaker on high-performance leadership and organisational culture, and a regular guest lecturer at several of the UK's leading big business schools. So a big welcome to Chris and Joe. Hi, Chris. Hi, thanks very much. Hi there. Very welcome. Good to speak to you both. And I wonder, Chris, um, mm. does, the, does the connection with innovation, and does it come from a young age? Is that what led you into this field? Uh, good question. Um... I mean, you know, as everyone's just heard, my my background is in design and um, and in essence, you know, design is uh, design is is innovation. The the process is the same. But I I suppose, um, you know, direct answer to your question at a young age was probably one of the only things that I was good at was was was, you know, was design and creativity and, you know, and imagining things that 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 didn't exist like we all do at a young age and and as I went as I went through school and college and university that that creative ability just seemed to be to be fairly dominant and and yeah I ended up um with a with a degree in product and industrial design and 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 I worked in that industry for 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 a few years so yeah I think creativity and design and thinking differently has 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 been with me from a very young age Excellent. How about you, Joe? What's what led to your interest in culture? Um, I think for me, it really started with an interest in, in in people and building bridges between people from different backgrounds, uh, trying to find common ground to build relationships and change mindsets. Um, I studied European culture and society, but then, as as you know, from my background, was fortunate enough to work uh, for some large global corporations where, where fairly early on um, my working days, I was... Um, on the integration team for some really large-scale mergers where I saw firsthand how difficult it was to get everybody feeling like they were part of one team and working towards the same goal. And I think ever since, I've, I've been interested in figuring out how to resolve that. Excellent. And why was it that uh, you both chose to get together and write this book, Chris? Uh, that's a really good question because, um, you know, as, uh, as, as the, readers, uh, the listeners will have uh, hopefully heard from Sue on your last show, uh, and, and I, I know Sue as well. Writing uh, writing a book of this type um, is is no easy and uh, and, and quick task. Um, so you know, Joe jo and I and, and our our co-author Derek have put a huge amount of, of effort into trying to get this book out there. And the the main reason is um, we we spend a lot of time with CEOs um and and directors and leaders of big of businesses all all over the world and of all different sizes and you know and i i i have i have a pile of books on innovation um that sits next to me every time i'm at my desk and so do a lot of the leaders and the CEOs that we talk to and one of the things that we 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 found and we hear you know re- that recurs in every conversation is chris you know, we don't need to be reminded anymore that we need to innovate. We know we need to build our businesses um, in, in new ways and with capabilities to adapt and differentiate and drive innovation. We don't need anyone to keep reinforcing the fact that we need to do it. But we just don't know what to do and we don't know where to start. And, we, you know, we just we just thought there was a real need for a, a much more practical and pragmatic book that that doesn't waste time trying to reinforce the need for innovation but just gets down to the look we know you need to do it so here's how we tackle it here's the framework 
um, here's what to do and here's where to start. Um, and that was the impetus for it, really. Excellent. I bet, I bet it was fun writing it with three of you because I, I sort of experienced myself writing with two of us and uh, that, yeah, that's quite challenging. Yeah, and I suppose you know, maybe not so much for me because I've already I've already wrote a book. But Joe, how how did you find it? Did you know was it was it more of a challenge having not done one before? Yeah, I guess pros and cons. It was good in some ways because we could bounce ideas off each other, and that was really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, but on on the downside, finding that kind of united voice for everything so that it wasn't you know wasn't jarring for the reader yeah. was, was quite challenging. I think. Yeah. I suppose the you know the other thing to say is you know Derek Joe Joe and I have spent you know it took us six months to write the book um, and you know we 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 work we spend a huge amount of time working together which is why we were able to write the book but you know it literally has taken six months on and off to write the book and it's a huge commitment in terms of time and 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 having to put you know sometimes client work second in order to find the time so um it's definitely not for the faint-hearted <laughs> <laughs> and what sort of problems that joe have uh, do you find that organizations who don't have this strong bias towards innovation experience it's a long list chris um <laughs> <laughs> i guess i guess if we take it high level there's a couple of ways i wanted to look at it i thought if you sort of take the, the the lid off the workplace and, and had a look inside, the types of behaviours that you'd see and the things that you'd see going on are poor internal communications, teams working in silos, not communicating, duplicating effort, lengthy decision-making processes. And I guess generally a, a firefighting culture where they're always redesigning products and services just to keep up with the competition. Um, and from the outside, that view is, is usually that they're struggling financially, they have weak market reputation, um, and therefore end up needing to compete on, on price with their competition because they have really insufficient differentiation to, to stand out from the crowd. Um, and as you know, in, obviously, in, in some cases, they just don't survive, ultimately. The, the companies that don't innovate tend to get swept away by those that do. Yeah, so there's been quite a few examples of that, hasn't there, with uh, Kodak and people like that, when the markets yeah. have suddenly disappeared through not innovating. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's not so much that their markets have disappeared. It's the market's still there. The people are there, and the people want to buy the same end result. You know, so take Blockbuster, for example. The same market is there. The same people still want to watch a film at home, but the delivery mechanism and the experience has changed, and Blockbuster didn't shift the way that they went to market versus Netflix said, here's the contemporary way that people want want to you know, want the experience of ending up watching a film at home. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and, and that, that's innovation. The heart of that is innovation is how do we keep up and may, remain absolutely contemporary in the way that we deliver what we do or how do we find new ways of doing things to reach new markets? Yeah, that's very true. You're absolutely right. It is it's about a, a, a different experience that people want. They, mm. they move on and that marketplace for film as such yeah. versus digital. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it disappeared. I don't know about you. I still kind of miss um, you know, coming back from a holiday and not going to collect my pictures and you know, be excited about being able to have a look at them. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it, it's funny. You know, we, on on that note, we we had a we had a CD through the post today from we, you know uh, we have we have two girls, two daughters, and we've just had some photography done. And for the past week, 
my wife has literally been running to the door every morning <laughs> waiting for this disc to arrive. And you look at the disc and you think, why, why didn't he just Dropbox them or upload them or email them? Why couldn't we have those digitally? But that experience of waiting for that disc has, you know, it's, uh, it's been like Christmas. You know, to, well, I mean, they arrived today. It was like Christmas. Uh, that's that's really antiquated technology now you know a disc with images on you know i'm Um, just quite relieved that you can delete before they get printed i think that's very very true yeah Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, i made a uh, i just went to stay with some friends actually and made a it gave us a wonderful weekend so i made a photo book up of the weekend and i was very excited about getting that and uh, they they loved it getting it as a gift so why is it important to build a culture of um, innovation to your organisation is, is culture not about creating a broad spectrum of behaviours, not just innovation. Yeah, it's a good so, question. Actually, I, th- I think I think for us, cu- culture is less about creating a broad spectrum of behaviours and more about creating the the ethos and core behaviours that are aligned to a common goal. Um, a culture of innovation really touches every aspect of business, you know, its outlook and employee engagement levels, how it collaborates with others, relationships with customers. Um, You know, these days products and services can be copied so quickly and the pace required to keep developing new products and propositions and services is so fast that you can't just rely on the traditional new product development practices. You need to constantly be developing, which means gathering continuous intelligence from customers and suppliers and the market as a whole. And for this to be done well, you need everyone in your organization on the same page all all gathering insight and uh you know collecting that you know becoming part of the the innovation effort that's what makes it part of the culture so why a focus on behavior specifically around innovation all of a sudden chris um I mean, it, you know, it, it, innovation's been around for as long as, as as man has been around. You know, in 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 a in a very basic form, and and now in a very technology driven, you know, complicated form. But innovation's always been around. Innovation is now has now really come to the forefront of everything because the pace of change um, has expanded and has and, and is increasing on a daily basis. And, you know, whereas organizations, maybe even as, you know, even just a decade ago, were able to continue to trade and, you know, and do well on, on what they'd always done or what they'd done for 10, 20, 30 years, you know, and, and change and adaptability wasn't really a huge requirement. Now that is a core requirement, um, innovation now has to be part of of the operating model of organizations because you know innovation is is the key to continuously adapting and staying relevant and sometimes not just um competing in markets um but actually being able to shape new markets and create markets that don't yet exist mm. um and you know the behaviors that that we talk about and the behaviors Joe just mentioned you know they, it's it's about corporate behaviour, um, and about what does the whole organisation have to do, and how does it need to behave in order that through all those efforts and all those different behaviours, innovation becomes a natural byproduct of what the organisation does, and ultimately that's the you know that's what building a culture of innovation is that that innovation becomes a natural byproduct of 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 how well that organization does everything 
Do, do you have a, a definition for innovation? Do you, do you, uh, how, how would you define it in case anyone's sitting there sort of thinking actually, you know, how, what exactly is it? Yeah, okay. So, so one of the things that, that, that we really um, highlight in the book is we, we, encourage, we encourage every client uh, that we work with to create their own language. But one of the first things that we, we get every client to do, every senior team is, is to define innovation for their organization. And we've created a framework a few years ago which, which helps clients define, the, understand the difference between invention and innovation. And, and it's simply um, uh, it, the, the four stages are this. You know, it is, is your idea and it is, is what you're proposing new or different? So it doesn't have to be something that never existed before. It can be a sl- an adapt- adaptation of something or it can be just something different or a combination of things. Typically, that, that still sits in the invention space. What we then say is, does, the, does your idea solve an absolutely, you know, a real genuine problem? Um, or or does, it, um, does it tackle an opportunity? But we, we really start like to focus on problems and does it, does it solve a genuine problem for a customer? The, the third caveat then is, is it affordable? So, is it accessible to the customer and can the customer afford it? And the fourth one is, will it and does it generate a return for you as the creator of that solution? So sometimes that return is, is, is fiscal, it, it's financial, but other times it might be about engagement or, or, or customer experience. So those are the four things. Is it new or different? Um, does it solve a problem? Is it accessible and affordable? And is it doable by you as an, the organization? And can you create a return from it? Um, and, and if you can put that in your own language, then you can. Ha- that helps you build a definition of, of what innovation should be. Cool. Well, we've got to go to commercial break now, but after the break, we're going to come back and look at the framework that you adopt and is reiterated throughout your book mm. uh, for creating a culture of innovation. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Chris Bezik and Joe Geraghty. We're talking about uh, building a culture of innovation. And, and Chris, in your book, you have this uh, framework uh, that you that you mentioned. I wonder, do you want to just um, outline the, the different steps in the in the framework, just very very briefly, and I'll come back and ask you a question about each. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so the, the six um, the, the the six steps we we talk about, and they they are you know chronologically they're they're in this order. The the first step is what we call um, kicking off with why, and that in essence is about helping clients understand where they are today and what we call what the case for change is, i.e. where do they want to go tomorrow and why. Um, stage number two is what we call assemble a team. Um, and, and, and that's, as, as the name suggests, that's about building uh, a leadership team and an innovation team around uh, to, to help um, drive innovation in the organization. Stage three is what we call agree the future. Um, and, and again, as the name suggests, that stage really focuses on building a really clear picture of what the future culture and the future organization needs to look like. Stage four is called engaging conversation, and, and it's at this point that we, we start to form, formulate how we're now going to communicate innovation across the organization. Uh, the next stage, stage five, five, is then when we actually start doing stuff in the organization. Um, and, and we, we present a roadmap for, for the journey ahead. And stage six is probably the, the most important one you know, with, with, with stage one, which is how do we, we call it make it happen, and we focus here around how do we actually make all the great work that's been done, how do we make it stick so that this, this culture of innovation sticks with the organization and genuinely becomes part of what, what differentiates it. Excellent. So you mentioned there that the first step is to kick off with why and the case for change. And I wonder mm. what are the common reasons for why that you experience. Um, I mean, th- that goes back to, to 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 one of the earlier questions, which is you know the the world is 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 changing you know and is is changing faster and faster. Um, you know, and almost on a daily basis, we're seeing. You know, real seismic shifts in the world of business, in in culture, in things happening around the world, um, and organisations now all over the world of every size know that they have to change, they have to adapt, and they they have to start, you know, driving themselves forward rather than following um, what what what's what's happening. So, one of the, you know the big case for change and the big reason why is we are. Is a senior team saying we just feel we're we're losing touch with our customers, 
you know, or we're losing market share or, you know, we know that we are in a declining market because our customers are shifting to maybe other ways of buying or other products or, or other, uh, other competitors. So, you know, the, the reasons are, are the real hard and fast commercial ones, um, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And, uh, have you got a, an example of a customer maybe who, uh, or, or somebody in the marketplace who's you know, experienced that why and done something about it? Uh, well, let, let's look at the opposite end of the scale. Look at you know we we, we mentioned um, and Blockbuster a while ago. Let's you know look at someone like Nokia. Um, you know Nokia at one point you know if you pretty much polled a, a room and asked people in a room um, if they've ever had or do have a Nokia phone, you know it, it, in some instances it was almost a hundred percent. You know, awesome. but it was certainly eighty ninety percent of people would put their hands up, and now. You know, look look at the shift in the way that people want wanted and still want to engage with mobile technology. It's now about the experience, not about creating a really robust handset with a long battery life. And those organisations, you know, just missed that shift in culture and that shift in trend and that shift in, in customer and consumer behaviour. Um, you know, whereas whereas others are. Look at look at what Tesla are doing at the moment. They are absolutely on the money in terms of the sentiment and where the world's going in terms of technology and battery power. You know why have they got something so right? Why did Apple get things so right when you know a global leading brand like Nokia got it got it so wrong? Yeah, and the consequence is significant. I remember I used to I used to have a, a team, an international team, and and uh, I used to go to Finland quite regularly. And it seemed that not every other person I met worked for Nokia. Yeah, um, yeah, must be really had a huge impact. Mm. So, how do you get to that really kind of deep, you know, deep why? Um, the, the the deep the deep why for me is 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 initially getting a senior team to have a really honest and frank conversation about what they really believe is possible. And, and it sounds a little bit, you know, the, the language I, I use here isn't, isn't typical corporate language, and it sounds a little bit soft and woolly, but the reality is if you really, really want to build an amazing organization and you really want to be innovation-led, you have to have a purpose. And we talk about purpose in business, but this is where purpose really comes into its own what does that senior team want to achieve what do they believe is possible and what do they want innovation to deliver for them what organization do they really want to build and if you can get a senior team to articulate that that's the best why in terms of starting this process that you can have any experience from you joe on that I think the key, I think Chris is right, and the key to the, the deep why is really tapping into the, the emotional level. You know, it's mm. the intellectual and emotional why. You know, what, why, how, why are people going to buy into this? What really is the purpose? What's, what's that emotive issue that's out there? You know, you need to move from the, oh, we should really do innovation. You know, lots of people are doing it. Uh, 90% of business leaders say that, you know, innovation is a priority to actually we must do this. It's an imperative. It's a business imperative for us. What does it mean to our business? And one of the ways that we look at that is to look through multiple lenses. You know, so you may say, well, actually, you know, we, we need to sort out our, our customer experience, our customer service. But actually, if you look at it from the customer's lens, if you look through their lens and their what they're saying is actually we want we want a better quality product. That's actually what we want, and that's the 
that's the deep why why we think you should change so it does it, it takes time you know Chris is right you've got to get them in a room you've got to spend that time with them what's your purpose why are you here where are you trying to get to to sort of tap into the the crux of the why if you like excellent um so the next stage you say that you look at assembling a team mm. um you outline that you start with a leadership team um why is that joe um, I think, as we say in the book, you know, if, if innovation is not on the top team's agenda, then it's not going to be in the culture. Um, it has got to come from from the top. The the leaders need to create that that clear vision of of where they want to get to and ensure that they've got the right people around the table with the right skills and experience to to really drive it forward. If there's any if there's any disconnect at the the top level, it it becomes much harder. To, to gain buy-in for your strategy from other important populations uh, internally and externally in the organisation. But especially internally, your, your senior managers and your HR population, for example, are going to be key to driving the behavioural change that we talked about that's, that's required. Um, and if you're, not, if you're not leading that from the top and you're not clear from the top about what you need, then that's, that's going to be very difficult. Um, Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, um, so I was just, just reflecting back on some of my experiences working with senior teams like that, and I've sort, I've sort of found, I don't know if you agree, that you can, you can, you can maybe only have, even if you've got just one person who's slightly disbelieving in that top group, that can be enough to sabotage the whole project in the long run. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And sometimes it's even just, a, it, it's a question of, uh, almost semantics, you know, what, what does what does quality mean? What does it look like? Yeah. What does you know? How do you define it? Because actually, we sit here and we're all saying the same words, but but it means something different to each of us. So that that sort of total alignment piece is is crucial. Now you also talk about in your book um, another group of people besides the top team, which is uh, referred to as I agents. Um, who are these people, and what might their scope be, Chris? Um, so our I agents. One of the things we we're, we're we're in, in every client engagement and throughout the book that we're really clear about is is to to try and avoid using commonly used language because one of one of the one of the ways that we work is we we encourage every company and every team we work with to use language that's appropriate and and in the context of their business so the the term i agents will be more commonly known by most people listening who who have read about innovation or are doing innovation in their organization is that the common term is champions, innovation champions. Um, we, we just like to use different language so that we're not using common language so that our clients don't just adopt the, the standard language that's used. But I agents are one of the most important populations or groups of people um, in any organization are what we call the people who care. And I agents for us are are that first group of people that the senior team can say, you know, if we sent a message out there and if we if we said we are we're going to do innovation, we want people who who are willing to help, who who are really passionate and and up for helping us drive innovation. Who are the people that instantly stick their hands up and say, if you're doing that, I want to be on that team. I'm really up for it. Those are the I agents. And identifying those people really early on is absolutely crucial to helping you build really, really quick momentum around innovation. So they're kind of in, like in Seth Godin terms, they become your tribe, do they? Yeah, you know, they're, they're your instant ambassadors. Well. Yeah, you know, they're, they're the people that are 
instantly going to go out there and say, come on, everyone else, rally the troops, you know, let's do this innovation thing. I'm passionate about it. I'm going to help drive it, you know. And they're, they're incredibly important in the early stages of, of, of the process that we use. Excellent. They can help to, help to spread the message out. Because mm. I guess some of these organizations are pretty big. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the, some of the clients we work with are, are global and, and, you know, and it's tens of thousands of people. You know, and, we, and we work with smaller clients as well. You know, it's not just the big companies. But, you know, when you've got organizations which are multi-sites around the world with tens of thousands of people, you know, you, you need that initial army to, to help you gain momentum. And how just how interested? How do you get to the army? Do you, you know, are you bringing if they're global? Are you bringing them for briefings? Are you producing papers? Are you using online methodologies? What? How do you how do you engage them? It, the, the short answer is you use every means possible because <laughs> you know some of these people are hard to reach and you know and and, and you know you 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 don't want the usual suspects you know you want people from the furthest regions the furthest parts of the organization because sometimes they're the best people so you use every you know every tool available to you to communicate every day and constantly to 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 try and reach as many people as possible and i think make it as easy as possible for them for them to engage you know just make yeah. there as many channels as possible for them to engage with you yeah, you know, this is too, This is communication. It's not sending a message out. This is this has to be bi-directional. You have to allow them. They have to be able to easily communicate back. And are you and are you sort of recruiting these I agents from all the different stratas of an organisation? Um, I always love this kind of, these kind of undercover boss type programs. And you know, the thing they always find is actually the you know, some of the people at the you know, kind of the shop floor, even the cleaners. You know, that those they those kind of people who can be really engaging, get behind something, and bring you the best ideas. Uh, absolutely. You know, though the the reality is that that innovation in every organisation comes from the people at the bottom of the organisation. You know, we hear all the language: is it top down? Is it bottom up? We, you know, we like to refer to it as it's actually middle out because it really needs everyone to be involved. So. We, you know, we start with looking for pe- from people right from the heart of the organisation, and you know, everyone in the organisation has a part to play in the mix of innovation activity that needs to take place. So, you know, anyone that shows a real willingness and a desire to get involved in innovation, then the doors open. And the good news for them is that a lot of this is solving problems that they they see every day. You know, processes mm. that don't quite work, clunky systems. Um, complaints that customers have and the, the people on the front line experience it so that yeah Chris is right they're often the best people to get the ideas from. Brilliant so how do you best uh, you know I think another stage about agreeing the future you know including deciding upon what the culture of the organization might be that you want? Um, do, you want do you want me to go for that to, to answer yeah. that one or yeah I, the one one of the one of the you know one of the beliefs that we have and and it, it you know it's, this isn't just a really polarized belief that we have I think this is this is you know true in 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 every organization it, it, innovation is is actually um, seen too much as a thing in itself but the reality is innovation is a is is a byproduct of of building an absolutely amazing organization it's a natural byproduct of saying here's where we want to take the organization 
here's what we want to achieve. Here's our purpose. And, and if you get that right, the, the truth is that the majority of people will, will, will align themselves and will say, I want to be part of that. And when you naturally inspire people like that, the, the natural byproduct is innovation because they contribute creativity. They want to solve problems. They, they actively try and, and, and create different approaches and, and different perspectives and different ideas. And all that activity generates, as a, as a natural byproduct, generates innovation and differentiation. And I think that piece about agreeing the future, I think that one of the things that we do do is take a lot of time to understand the, the current culture of an organisation. So th this isn't a, it isn't a plug and play. You know, we do spend a lot of time saying, OK, well, you know, what does it look like currently? What's your cover, current, you know, level of innovation maturity? You know, before we think about that, well, what's the gap then for where, where you want to get to? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, you're right, some people it might be about get it going from good to great, but others it might be really getting off the starting blocks. That's right. So. Yeah, and, and and you know, Joe's right. One of the first things we do in, in stage one is we 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 really, you know, we draw a line in the sand, we benchmark where those organizations are now, and then when 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 we help them articulate where they want to get to, that makes the process of you know, like like a like a, a sat nav or a GPS, it makes the process of plotting the start, you know, point and and the direction they want to get to, it makes it makes it much easier. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break again now, I think. And um, after the break, we're going to look at um, you know how you really engage people with the agenda and agreeing the roadmap, and how you get people to um, really stick with this and ensure that the whole thing is enduring. Um, so uh, do come back uh, after the break and uh, we'll therefore be back with you in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of The Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton, Mr. Henry Cisneros, who will be here to talk about 13 trends which make investing in real estate in urban centers a sure bet. Don't miss Henry Cisneros this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. 
Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. And if you want to find out any information about uh, the next shows that are coming up and my take on various shows and things, I produce a, a communication once a month, which you can um, subscribe to at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. So at chriscooper.co.uk, sorry. Um, so we were chatting um, before the break about the different steps in, uh, in the cultural uh, of innovation. And I wonder, Joe, you know, how do you get people to engage with this agenda when it potentially involves lots and lots of change, which a lot of people aren't very comfortable with. No, that's true, Chris. And um, the engagement piece is just, it's so crucial in this and it's its still overlooked by, by so many people when they're running through these programmes. Um, I think the key is really this, the engaging in conversation, you know, remembering that it is, it is a two-way process. You do, you need to listen to what's being said. Uh, you can't just go straight into broadcast mode. Um, the other piece is really to take people on a journey. You know, it can't be just something that you, you can't drop a bombshell and say, well, actually tomorrow sees us at a completely def- different destination from the one that you were expecting. You know, that people won't cope with it very well. So it's that, you know, steady, um, you know, drip feed sounds too, too sort of sinister, but it, it's that kind of take, take them with you on the journey, explain to them, you need to educate them on, what the change is, why it's important, what difference does it make for not just the organisation, but for for customers, for employees, for for suppliers. You know, how how is it going to going to affect them? It can't be something that's just kind of dropped there. Um, but the the listening to their views and feedback, you know, along the route is is key. I think there was an example of um, of one company that we were working with that literally just had kind of a strap line of you know, something to the effect of we now innovate put onto everybody's business cards and everyone was left there kind of going, really? Do we? You know, what What does that mean that we we need to do? So that whole engagement piece had been, had been bypassed. I, I was just, the other day I was getting, uh, I was going to the dry cleaners and there was, uh, on the dry cleaners there was a notice and it was the, the kind of founder and head of this organization basically saying that they were innovative and they they love to give exceptional service and their colleagues will always do that and I was standing in a queue with one person serving for about 25 minutes and the thing I just thought about that is I just thought it was there it was there just as a token you know if he he was really keen about it he'd have his phone number at the bottom or his email address yeah (laughs) that would have been innovative yeah but you know I think I think that's a great example of of how you know innovation as a word and a and a concept and and a and a thing um has has been so devalued over the last few years because it's really easy now like you say for everyone just to put you know we are now an innovation led organization as a strap line for it to to feature on websites for it to feature on adverts on TV you know, it's really easy to throw the word around and to be on the bandwagon. What's difficult is the stuff that we're helping clients do, which is 
let's actually stop the rhetoric and, and build real innovation capability into our organization. And the companies that do it will be the ones that, that we admire and, and in reality will be still around in a few years. When we're doing, having the commercial break, uh, Chris, you were giving me the example of Cisco, and I thought that yeah. was really, really worthwhile sharing on the show because it shows the, you know, the scale of uh, how, you know, permeating innovation from your organisation uh, can, uh, you know, can be achieved. Do you want to share that example, and then yeah, so you know, the the the, the listeners out there, I'm sure, will be, will be aware of Cisco. You know, they're a global organisation. You know, circa seventy thousand employees around the world. You know, mul- multiple sites all over the world, multiple business units, and you know they they've recognised the importance of innovation and have done for for many years. You know, they've got innovation teams all over the world, and and I, I work with 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 the the guys that run the team based over in the UK, and you know they they're now embarking on genuinely embedding innovation into their culture and and trying to make innovation something that happens and, and to to the point that we talked about earlier about you know even the the lowest employee in an organization contributes to innovation cisco are now talking about you know innovation happening everywhere across the organization and they're they're really focusing on that language they want innovation to be every day and across every part of the organization and it's a really good example that they're setting that if an organization of that size that turns over that much money with 70,000-ish you know, people, if they can embark on this and if they can pull it off, which they are doing, then it's, you know, it's set the standard for, for all the other companies out there who say, oh, it's too difficult. Mm. And it, uh, I guess when you, when you join, when you see the values, when you're, you're part of it, you're feeling innovation everywhere, I guess. Yeah, look, look, you know, look at employee engagement. Look at you know how how innovation helps reduce recruitment costs. Who who doesn't want to work for an organisation that is held up as one of the most innovative, most creative, you know, innovation led organisation that's doing really dynamic, forward thinking, clever stuff? Who doesn't want to work for those organisations like that? So the return on that investment in innovation is even affected by. You know, you have a queue of people wanting to work for you rather than having to spend money on recruitment. You get the best talent from around the world. You know, the, the benefits of building innovation into your culture, you know, spread far further than just driving top or bottom line growth. Mm. So next, next, Chris, you agree a roadmap. I mean, what does, might that look like? Yeah, um, so the, the roadmap really is, 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 it dovetails onto what Joe was saying. You know, once we start having conversations with people and engaging them in what the future is going to be like and what you know what it's going to mean for the organisation, and and again to that to that point and to what the what Joe talked about, th- that's really where those I agents come in and those champions because they're out there having conversations, you know, reinforcing the value of innovation, gathering people and you know increasing their numbers, gathering more champions and I agents. And, and it really helps when we get to this stage, which is about setting the scene and, and presenting that roadmap to everyone. And, and it's important to note that this isn't a, another plan that the senior team have said, here's what we're doing and it's a fait accompli. You know, the I agents and, and employees will have, through our process, will have been involved in, in the creation, the design of that roadmap. And, 
and it's at this point that everyone in the organization organization then gets a sense and gets to see what the future is going to look like and how the organization is going to get there. So do you find within the priority of everything that's going on in, in an organization that uh, this, this becomes a, you know, a main project? Because an organization the size of Cisco or someone like that you know, must have so many different initiatives happening. Uh, does this usually get the, become one of the major initiatives for a company in a, in a year, for example? Well, it, you know, I, I know Joe's got really clear clear views on this from from the from the, the real pragmatic people side. But you know, my perspective is, if innovation is seen as a another project, then it's then it's dead from the start. You know, th- this is about this is about subtly helping an organisation change over an extended period of time. It's not a you know, it's a three month project, and we will have a culture of innovation. This type of change takes time. It has to be done slowly and it has to be done with care. And if it's forced, then people push back because as Joe talked about earlier, people don't like too much to change too soon. Um, so it has to be done sensitively and it has to be done with people, not to them. Um, so, you know, th- this is a real ongoing program of change rather than a project with a start and end date. We're potentially talking about a few years with these things, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it it's easily a year, um, and and very easily two, three, four years. You know, an organisation the size of Cisco isn't going to embed innovation into their culture. You know, with you know, in several months, it's a long journey. And the real clear message that they've sent out to the world is that the senior team understand that and and are are behind that. I think it's potentially damaging to kind of you know, make it a short-term project as well because you, you, you do more harm than good. You're sort of saying to everybody, this is where we're going, this is where we're heading. You mm. get them engaged, they buy into it, they want to do it. If you suddenly then, you know, don't put the same amount of energy behind it and it, it fizzles away, mm. the, the likelihood of being able to kick that kickstart that again with as much enthusiasm is, is pretty small. Yeah, uh, I bet. And, and Joe, how do, how do you make uh, this... You know, this kind of a process enduring so it really does stick? Well, it's, it's a good question and it, it is one of the challenges we see. I think that there isn't quite enough time and effort put into or resources put into making the new culture stick. So these days people tend to be quite good at sort of designing and agreeing agreeing the future. Um, but it's what I, I call too short, too sharp and too shallow. You know, it, it's not quite deep enough. So you're effectively change. You want to change hearts and minds. You want to change behaviours. You know that requires time and time and effort. And once you've done all of the the engaging conversation and everything else, you really really need to embed it into all those other organisational structures. And it's it's kind of the piece that people don't like to hear about because they think it's boring and it's it's not the innovation and it's not the design piece, but it's key. So you you need to embed it into your into your policies, your processes, your uh, talent performance management, your pay and reward, recruit, you know, recruitment processes. The, the list is is ongoing. But um, if you don't have that, if you don't have that backbone there, then it is just far too easy for it to to, to slip again. Mm. Um, and I think I think the key is, you know, we often say that look, the leaders need to in, inspire people to the change, and that the purpose is stronger than than the pay. But at the same time, you can't have them at odds with each other. You can't be saying, look, we want you to innovate, we want you to behave in this way, but actually we're going to pay you 
or incentivize you to do something else, which is which is a challenge that we see quite often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the key things, Chris, as well, on, on top of, you know, all those things, you know, and Joe's, Joe's the expert on, on, on that side of things, on how, how we really embed this type of innovation and behavior and make it a real fundamental part of how the organization works. But, you know, what, one of the things that we really focus on is we're constantly evaluating and going back and sense checking with organizations. You know, it's not a case of flicking the switch when you get to a certain point in this program and then saying, okay, you should be fine now. It's about constant monitor, you know, monitoring, constant measuring, you know, and understanding if something needs to be tweaked. It, in, you know, in the, in the very um, definition of innovation, it's, it's then about incremental change and, ad- and adaptation and, and, and making this whole process and the whole culture constantly move forward and constantly evolve. And you need to measure, um, you need to measure and evaluate constantly to be able to do that. Um, with the caveat that you don't measure and evaluate too much. I suppose the uh, I like the example that you share there, the sort of GPS system a little earlier mm. on. You know, mm. I suppose with the GPS system, it's constantly giving you measures of where you are versus your end goal. Yeah, but but okay. So the the better the the really good analogy is, you know, sometimes a road will be closed, sometimes there'll be a traffic jam. What a GPS will do is it will evaluate and it will route you around it and keep you on track. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, great. So what, what final message would you like to leave us with? Uh, Joe? what are your thoughts? Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really conscious that we've talked a lot about sort of the top team and CEOs and leadership today. I think the, the key piece I'd like to leave people with is do something, you know, start to create start to create waves you might not be on the top team but if you're a a business unit head an HR director um, you know build build innovation into your own strategy get the results with your team find your eye agents lead the way and 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 get it onto the top team's agenda from wherever you're sitting in the organization that's a really good point that because you're right sometimes uh, these initiatives don't always start at the top do they they find the way there and then they come back down again Mm. yeah exactly uh, so you can inspire it at, uh, at many different levels. So how about you, Chris? What are your final messages? Um, I, th- I think the the real, you know, the the real core of this is, you know, for everyone out there, for everyone listening, that say, you know, that saying, you know, we know we need to innovate. We know the world's changing. You know, you know, this isn't a blatant plug for the book, but you know, if the book's going to help you get there, then then you know, pick it up, read it, and and just start to do something because. At the point where you realize that you should have done something sooner, it's too late. And the world's changing so fast. You know, we, you know we're on a mission that, you know, to, to stop the likes of more blockbusters and Nokias and, and all those companies, you know, go, going bust. You know, there's no reason for companies going under if they build innovation capability. Wonderful. Well, it's been fantastic talking to you both. And I think, you know, you really have articulated a great sort of structure there for people to think about uh, when they are innovating and looking to develop an innovative culture. And I suppose my, my recommendation always to people too is you can pick up your book, which sounds a great idea to do, to do that. Um, but also when you're doing this sort of thing, it's great to have guides like uh, Chris and you, Joe, who can help people through that journey. So once again, uh, yeah, so Chris and Joe, thanks very much for being on today. It was really interesting. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, and if you've got any questions or feedback on the show, please uh, you can send them some to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. But uh, for more information on Chris Bezik, 
um, and Chris is C-R-I-S, uh, Bezik, go to thefutureshapers.com. You can also email Chris at Chris, that's C-R-I-S, at futureshapers.com. It's the future shapers. Uh, sorry, it is that's the future right. shapers, yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> .com. And uh, for Joe Geraghty, um, and Joe's surname is G-A-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y, um, it's www.consultancy.com and joe.gerrity, G-E-R-A-H-T-Y, at cultureconsultancy.com. So once again, thanks very much to Chris and Joe. On next week's show, um, we have Gordon Treadgold, and he's going to be talking about the principles behind his book, Fast, um, which are principles every business needs to achieve success and drive results. Gordon is uh, the number one, apparently, when it comes to uh, Twitter and leadership um, in terms of uh, his sort of ranking. Um, so very interesting that I actually pre-recorded this interview with him earlier in the week. It's a really good one. There's some great ideas in there, and I think it builds on nicely as well from um, the interview today with Chris and Joe. So do join uh, the show next week to hear Golden Treadgold on Fast, and say once again a big thank you to both Chris Bezik, Joe Geraghty, and also to uh, the engineer today who's working on the show and supporting this show so well, uh, Justin. Have a great week, everybody. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.